In this episode, I speak with Tom McClellan, who is Country Director for UK and Ireland at Wired School. We discuss how a building gets certified, what the value of it is, example projects, benefits for key stakeholders, and I also get Tom's opinion on some of the top market challenges and opportunities. If you enjoy this episode, please follow, like, subscribe and share. Your support means a lot. We want to carry on educating and innovating and bringing you amazing guests. Hi, Tom. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us today. Hello. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be here. Brilliant. Um, so Wired Score is a global standard for technology in the built world. And you've also recently launched Smart Score too. Um, so I thought it'd be worthwhile getting you on the podcast because this clearly has a big impact on the creation of smart buildings and will hopefully create a much more joined up unified approach. So before we go any further, please would you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about Wired and Smart Score? Yeah, of course. So as I said, it's great to be here. Thanks very much for having me on um, for introduction. My name's Tom McClellan, and I'm the country director for the UK and Ireland at WideScore. Um, and WideScore's mission, um, and it has been since 2013 when we were set up, um, is to make the world's buildings smarter uh, and better connected. And we want to do this so we can enable a more collaborative, uh, innovative, dynamic, uh, and a more sustainable future. As I say, it's, that's been the case since 2013. We were initially set up, established in, in New York in conjunction with Mayor Bloomberg uh, at the time. Uh, and we've since grown to operate in a further 11 markets. So covering among others, the US, Canada, uh, UK, Ireland, France, Germany, Netherlands, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Australia. So becoming a real kind of global presence in the um, built environment. Um, and with more to follow by the end of the year, really excitingly. Um, and by origin, we're a certification business. So fundamentally, what we do is rate buildings based on their digital connectivity, which is our wide score product. Mm-hmm. Um, and how smart they are, which is uh, under SmartScore, uh, a product we release globally in April, uh, April of this year. Um, and the idea is that through the certification process, we're able to make uh, more transparent what is otherwise quite opaque. Um, and so by doing that, uh, enhance the decision-making process on both sides of the market. So for landlords and developers, um, that's, having better data uh, and a better understanding of how well connected or how smart uh, buildings are um, and so set out a pathway for how they might improve Uh, and for occupiers tenants renters um, at an aggregated level there's an effective market benchmark in place so they can all appreciate and understand more um, the buildings that they're in um, or indeed ideally before they're moving into those buildings yeah perfect so that sounds really interesting and like I said it's really relevant to kind of what we're discussing here on the podcast um and I know that you've you've said smart score was developed to provide clarity on what constitutes as a smart building um so I'm curious to hear what your definition of a smart building is yeah that's that's right it was uh it was a very very long exercise with input from a whole host of industry experts and and bodies um when we set out on our smart school journey sort of 15 to 18 months ago, um, we wanted to, to generate something that was created by the market for the market. So in doing, in doing so and trying to fulfill that ambition, we pulled together a group of the world's leading landlords, developers, uh, technologists, um, engineers and, and such, such like into one body, which we um, subsequently termed the Wise School Smart Council um, in order to, to achieve this ambition. Um, yeah. And the definition we landed on is that a smart building is one that delivers outstanding outcomes to all users 
through digital technology to meet evolving needs and expectations. Um, and there are a couple of things in there that's probably worth unpacking. Um, the first to concentrate on is probably the North Star of what this is trying to be, um, and it's to focus on users and outcomes for those users. Um, we really truly believe um, that um, a smart building needs to be measured by what it delivers, um, not about the inputs that are put into it, um, not about how much technology you're you're putting in or how much money you're spending on technology that they're then going to put in. It's really important to focus and on the user. Um, and that's all users in the building. So it's not just the landlord or the tenant or the occupier, it's the investors, it's the management team, it's the visitors um, that, that pass through the building as well. Uh, and if you can keep sight of, of all those individuals and outcomes you're delivering to them, we really think you're making great progress towards um, delivering and forging smart for, for your assets. Um, and the second thing that we look at is really the delivery of those outcomes. So um, the functionality that's going into the building. So what systems do you have in place? What functionality is there to ensure that those outcomes that we, that we look at and, and want to be delivered to users uh, can be delivered? Um, and thirdly, just to touch on briefly, um, we note in the definition that smart school is not a line in the sand. Um, it's something that is going to evolve um, over time. And as smart becomes more and more inherent within the kind of real, um, real estate ecosystem um, and truly smart buildings need to be able to evolve alongside that change yeah great and I think that's really important so like you said there that um focus on what a smart building actually delivers is key because there is so much technology and systems and IOT and devices that you can put into a building but really what does that mean if it's not delivering um the key needs that that end user or the occupants within that building that actually need and want from it um, and I think that's the thing, it's quite woolly, like there's so many different definitions of what a smart building is. So it's it's really important that we have kind of that unified standard so we can see, right, we're working towards the same goal at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, one thing that we were really conscious of doing was not setting out a specification. So we weren't saying you need X, Y and Z and it has to be in, in this formula or, or following yeah. this equation. It was here's a framework for how smart can can work in your building and the steps you can take towards delivering it so yeah i think you're right there it's there is so much out there specifying and sorry forming specifications will become outdated really quickly those items yeah. the inputs the technologies will become obsolete but if you have the right framework you can continue to evolve your perception delivery of smart with the markets yeah definitely because i think a lot of the time it does come down to that sort of planning stage which often isn't carried out as well as it could be because um, it, it needs to be basically what, what needs to be delivered from that smart building and what challenges there currently are that can be solved through smart technology. And I think often that's how things get specified and put into a building that end up not being used. It sounds great, but really is there a purpose for them? Yeah. So great. So could you talk us through that certification process a little bit? So who is your current target audience who would actually apply to certify a building? Yeah, sure. Um, so landlords and developers dominate our, our audience. Um, they're the owners of the buildings that we that we work on um, and they're the teams that we work directly with um, when delivering a certification. Um, that said, uh, the ecosystem we touch as part of our process is considerably wider um, and our product products, um, to be accurate, um, have a range of features to augment what each of those parties do. Um, so for instance, we'll work with leasing teams on how 
um, the buildings can be marketed most effectively or with property managers on how they can maximize the potential um, of, of the building, operate the building most effectively um, and to engage with tenants day to day. Um, and of course we deal with ultimately tenants and renters themselves. Um, the products are designed to reflect their experience. So ultimately our, our clients are communicating with and delivering space to them. Um, so we also need to be able to talk to them as well they're, as, as, as they're the ultimate um, beneficiary of, of what we provide. Um, the process itself, coming back to the, I think the first part of your question, is, yeah. is dependent really on, on which pathway the building takes. Um, and what I mean by pathway is um, across WiseScore Office, so digital connectivity for office, WiseScore Home, um, for home, uh, for homes, um, and smart score. Um, we have we have two pathways. One is for existing standing assets, and one is for developments. Um, so, depending on which of those pathways you take, will depend on on the process that you then follow um, as a as a landlord or or developer. Um, if we're talking about developments, um, it's pretty straightforward. Our, our teams receive and process plans and schematics to to score the building. So, we work with engineering teams, uh, project managers to get a. Um, an appreciation of, of, of what is being developed and what the ultimate asset will, will, will look like. Um, for standing assets, we conduct a physical inspection. So we, we send teams into the building and go from you know, basement right to the rooftop and, and gather data ourselves. Um, in each case, we give, after that work has been done, um, an initial assessment of, of where the building sits um, and how it can improve. Um, ultimately, the building uh, we'll have its score confirmed and then be able to go, go public. Um, and then once that's happened, our attention switches to working with our, with our clients to ex make sure they're extracting as much value from the data and, and the product suite we have available against the certifications. Yeah, perfect. Okay. And you've probably just covered this question off actually, but what are the key aspects on that scorecard? Are there any kind of key ones that you look to address? Yeah. So, um, there are, uh, depending on whether we're looking at wide score for digital connectivity or smart score yeah. for smart, um, there are different areas that we focus on. Um, to touch on digital connectivity first, under wide score, um, this is really focused on measuring a couple of key things. So resilience, how likely is the internet to go down in this building? Mm -hmm. um, provision, so what, what choice is there, um, whether that's providers themselves, so ISPs, or the medium of provision, so fixed, fixed wires, wireless, mobile. Um, and then readiness and future readiness. So, you know, thinking about how quickly can I, as a user, whether I'm a business or a renter, get into a building, get set up, and uh, get working if I'm in an office, or get gaming or streaming if I'm in the, in the home environment. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of future readiness, thinking about how all those things, so the resilience, the provision, the readiness, can be facilitated moving forwards. Um, rather like Smart, I just said. Um, this technology doesn't stand still. It's going to evolve, it's going to change. And buildings cannot change as quickly as technology does because you know, we're talking about bricks and mortar and steel and concrete and glass. Um, there's much less flexibility with changing that than there is a technology. So making sure that you're inherently building that flexibility and adaptability in is, is really important. Um, on the smart score side to come, come to that, um, there's two areas that we, I suppose, focus on. The first is user functionality. So that's looking at the user stories, the outcomes that I was talking about um, yeah. when we're talking about the definition um, and making sure, or at least looking at what is available to users of that building. And we have, there's loads in there, there's about 40 kind of user stories that 
that we look at. Um, but broadly speaking, they cover productivity, health and well-being for communities, um, sustainability, something else that we're really keen to look at, maintenance operations and also security. So there are kind of six user functionalities that we that we rate. Um, can the building or what can the building deliver that falls under those kind of six areas? And then we take a step back and go, OK, that's what the building is looking to deliver. Um, how is this underpinned through technology? And that's our technological foundations element of our scorecard. So, so what is going into the building to, to underpin delivery of outcomes? Um, and there are six areas there as well. Um, broadly speaking, it's looking at digital connectivity, uh, building systems, um, governance, cybersecurity, and data sharing. Um, so there's kind of the user functionality side and the foundations um, to, to deliver those functionalities. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So I guess from that, what are the, the key benefits of being certified? Is it that trust, the security and credibility that that brings with it? Yeah, that's definitely a huge, a huge part of it. You know, it's the, um, it's the validation of, of, of where your building sits. And that's, that's for you as, a, as, as an owner, as a developer, as a landlord, but also to your occupiers. You, know, you want to know that what you're delivering to the market is as good as you think it is and understanding why. Um, and as an occupier or a tenant, you want to know that what you're being told is good about your building is true. So that third party verification, um, that validation of what you're being told is, is really important and, and a huge benefit to, to both sides of the market. Um, if I was to add a couple of things, I'd say something else that um, our clients certainly find really useful is um, that transparency versus opaqueness that I was talking about right at the top of, of, um, of our conversation. Yeah. Um, having access to good data is really important because it enables smart decision making and that makes you more able to do your job um, for, a, for a long period of time. The more data you have, the better decisions you can make. And that's really important. And it's, it's something that I think my, my background is one, um, one of surveying. So I'm kind of familiar with where attention is, has historically been focused when thinking about real estate. Um, and technology hasn't really been a fundamental part of that for such a long period of time. So be able to draw attention to that and really go in a, in a very narrow but very deep sense into areas that deliver um, a good experience for the people that are, that are paying for your, uh, the space you're providing uh, is really, really important. You know, technology and connectivity and um, the smart experience matter more and more and more to, to renters and to, and, and to users of space. So having an appreciation of that in a standardised way that's applicable across a building, whether it's in London or, or Glasgow or Paris or Sydney, is a really helpful thing to have. Um, and ultimately, we're seeing that come through um, from, from the market perspective as well. So we're starting to see that the ability to understand data allows owners to mitigate obsolescence to reduce the risk of a building being outdated quickly and to become economically obsolete and to not fulfill the um, the aspirations of, of those who, who are looking to occupy the space um, and also interestingly in in rental levels too looking back to i think it was about 12 or 18 months ago um, eg did did a report that compared um, or some research that compared wide certified buildings in london versus comparable non-wise certified buildings in London and they found through regression that there was a five percent premium paid on those which which had proven digital connectivity so so were wide certified um, and through conversations we're having and, and anecdotally what we're seeing and hearing in the market is that that's that's sort of coming to fruition the ability to understand and improve 
areas that really matter to tenants is ultimately going to transform into into rents and value against real estate as well yeah definitely and that's really interesting now i mean i read an article just earlier this week in the financial times which was all about the government introducing new rules for um energy efficiency and sustainability in buildings so basically there was going to have to be upgrades for a lot of buildings in order to meet those standards so things like that are definitely driving this adoption as well and and making it even more essential yeah that's absolutely right there was there was even a report today um i forget where it came from but they were saying that because of those measures up to 10% of the market stock will become obsolete within yeah. the next two or three years. You know, 10% will just be removed because they, they cannot meet those expectations. Um, and sustainability is a massive driving force right now. If, if it's, it's very current because of the report, the, the, the report that came out mm-hmm. earlier this week. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I think the same will be true of technology as well. If, if, if you have a building that is technologically not able to sustain what people want to experience in buildings, you'll also see obsolescence come through. Yeah. Definitely. So have you got um, a recent example of a building that has been certified? And could you tell us a bit about that and kind of what made that so special and um, what the what it actually was certified as? What level? Yeah, of course. Um, it's, a, it's a bit like asking a parent to, to pick out their favourite child, I suppose. Um, <laughs> one, one that springs to mind is uh, the Hickman building. Um, which uh, is owned by Great Portland Estates GPE. Um, and that recently was the first smart school platinum building globally, which is really exciting. So a real kind of standout achievement from, from, from GPE on the Hickman. Um, and honestly, it was a truly staggering building. Um, we, we worked hand in glove with, with their team over a number of weeks to kind of to get the certification delivered. Um, and it was an amazing process and amazing to work with them. Um, there are a number of things that really stood out. Um, the first for me was their use of a digital twin um it was really amazing to to see it used in such a comprehensive way in ways i hadn't really envisaged before kind of seeing it in use um things like being able to literally break apart the building and zoom into a single component somewhere on a random floor in a random part of the asset and know everything about that component you know it's, it's history where it had come from um how it integrates with the rest of the building it was seriously impressive to see kind of in action um, that, that, that really kind of blew me away. Um, I think the other thing that stood out was the app um, that, that they were using. I think it's called Sesame. Um, and there were, some, there were some really cool features in it, which, which immediately for us meant, was amazing to see because it was truly delivering value to users. They'd really thought about what do people want to experience when they're, when they're a part of this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And it had some, some things like you know, access to something like 200, I think, magazines and papers each day. Um, live feeds to occupiers on transport timetables i suppose um weather updates local offers community engagement all these things all featured in this one very kind of easy to use great interface uh, app it was it was really really impressive so i think yeah the, the hitman has recently stood out to us massively and i think um because of those because of those two, two things in particular yeah Definitely. It's it's funny you mention it because we actually, the podcast last week was all about um, digital twins and the potential of them in order to create smart buildings, but also smart cities. So it's interesting understanding a bit more about them and what's what's actually possible. So yeah, it's, it's definitely um, sort of the future, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, really is seriously impressive. I mean, as I say, my background is in surveying and I'd never seen a digital twin until, until joining Wild School, but um, seeing it 
you seeing them sorry used more and more and how they're being used is, is really exciting there's yeah. so much functionality that can be built in and, and progress that can be made with their use yeah so we've got a kind of a, a couple of more broad questions um for you now so in your view what are the current challenges and opportunities within the smart building market on the opportunity side i think from from my own perspective and i've, I've said this to other people to clients recently is we're really in the, i think the foothills of the of the smart journey um, it's a very, very nascent theme and trend within within real estate. And there's a hell of a long way to go. It's, it's going to get more and more complex and bigger and bigger and have more and more of an impact on our lives. Um, and I think those who kind of adopt it well now have a really great opportunity to get ahead. Um, and I think that's going to come in two ways. One is is learning really quickly. And the other is to, to trial things. I think we're at a point where people are going to be more open to things going slightly wrong than they will be in say five or 10 years time where there's a higher expectation of what smart can deliver. And I think those that kind of get, get their attitude or kind of aspiration in the right place can take advantage of, of this time and, and really drive learnings, not just on one building, but across their portfolios, trial things here, trial things there, see what works. Um, it's a bit like in my head, it's a bit like picking a sports team. You know, you've got all the technologies are out there and available. Um, the skill is in getting the combinations right and the balance right and getting the training correct. And I suppose nutrition to really extend the analogy terribly, but all these kind of things you can control, um, understanding where the weaknesses are and, and kind of working and focusing on those. And the, um, the owners of real estate globally are able to understand that things won't be perfect. Uh, but there's opportunity to really get ahead of competition now and sustain that that advantage into the future. Um, I think have a great opportunity um, to to really own smart and make it a, a big and vibrant part of who they are as a business. Um, to flip that on its head, I think that's also where some of the challenges come from too. I think getting the buy-in to enable you to have a, a really good plan, a good strategy or, or, or an effective strategy is quite a hard thing to do because I think you have to accept that it is going to be a long journey. It's going to have to be quite a resilient um, group of people who drive this in the business because things aren't going to go perfectly first time. Things are going to be a bit difficult here and there. Um, as you said, there's this kind of amorphous cluster of options in almost any area you look when you're talking about smart and navigating a pathway through all of that and delivering a really good building at the end of it is not an easy thing to do mm -hmm. um, and getting the buy-in to accept that there's going to be you know perhaps a less efficient use of capital than you might expect elsewhere uh, or understand that there will be there will be setbacks along the way um, I can see that being being a real being a real challenge um, but once we overcome that I think you will be able to take advantage of the opportunity that getting it right will will, will present to those who do yeah definitely that seems like a a really good ancestors kind of experimenting at the moment so that you can perfect that smart building strategy going forward so that maybe in you know 10 years time those businesses as you said have got a head start and they can actually be just rolling out this this perfected strategy yeah i think i, th I think that's right there's a real opportunity to just understand what works and what doesn't and if you get that soon you can you can have significant um learnings off the back of that if you forward. Yeah. Cool, definitely. Have you seen adoption in any particular geographic area or success within any area in particular? Uh, another very interesting question. Um, off the top of my head, I don't think so. I mean, we're, we're working closely with clients 
in all of our markets and seeing great adoption everywhere. To reframe that idea slightly, I think it might actually be more about business attitudes and competition in the markets than maybe the geography. Um, so on that basis, I think if you, if you reframe the, the approach um, slightly, um, you'll find that there are kind of market leaders in every market who are really taking um, a very serious look at smart and thinking very, very carefully about it and on the back of it, delivering outstanding buildings. And there are also those who aren't quite so far advanced or quite so far along that journey. Um, my own view is that those who are doing it now and really confronting the challenges that we were just speaking about yeah. will win out um, and ultimately be the winners in the end. But I don't think that's a matter of geography. I think that's a matter of attitude, you know, taking yeah. taking that that challenge and, and, and confronting it and taking that step forward. Um, people are doing that everywhere and people um, aren't doing it everywhere as well. So it's not yeah. really geography. It's, I think it's attitude. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think there's a few sort of... Um, flagship sort of cities in particular that have adopted or went through initiatives to experiment and adopt certain technologies. I think like Singapore was an example we've used on the podcast before where they've been um, really innovative and forward thinking and looking at different things to do. And I think they've even applied a digital twin to their city um, to allow monitoring to be able to see how it's interacted with um, how the occupants of that city sort of navigate around and what the popular areas are, what areas that might need regenerating or even to sort of um, plan things out to so simulate future things that might be put in place and see how that could impact the city. So yeah, really interesting, but that's a, a, a good way of looking at it, a different angle that I hadn't considered. Um, so finally, you touched on this uh, previously, but what would you say, say are the key topics that are driving the adoption of smart buildings? You mentioned sustainability. Is there anything else that you would say is up there with the, a key driver? Yeah, I think I think sustainability is right at the top of the agenda. I'm um, thinking back to the, the conversations we've had as part of the, the Wired School Smart Council over the last 15 to 18 months. Um, sustainability was was always right, right at the forefront of people's consideration and, and a real determination to address that i think that was at the top of the agenda pre-pandemic as well as through the yeah. pandemic one thing that we, we we did see come through more um from kind of march april time last year um was health and wellness as as you would expect and that that's uh, has its own kind of um it's its own user functionality within our scorecard. And, and that became a really, as, as you'd expect, it became a really dominant theme within the conversations we were having, a real kind of um, conscious effort to understand um, that users already were and would increasingly be very, very aware of how a building could enable them to be, to be healthier um, yeah. and, and well. Um, I think we've also seen um, and this is starting to happen more because we're now looking at people returning to the office um, and hopefully more and more that that will happen as, 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 as the pandemic recedes and um, over over the next few weeks and months. Um, an awareness that the world of work has shifted to one that's un, un, undeniably more of a hybrid model than it, than it was 18 months ago. Yeah. So the appreciation of, of um, sort of blurring of lines between what one can do at home and what, what one can do in the office um, will have an impact on, on what um, 
users expect to be delivered to them in each of those environments and also what corporations are expected to deliver down to those who they're bringing back into the office or or allowing to work from home mm-hmm. um, and as a result of that we've seen which is which is which is great and we've seen it with with our clients for 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 many many years across our markets is an acute awareness of how important digital connectivity is to to underpin all of that because if you haven't got um, a great digital infrastructure it's really hard to work from home because if, you're, if yeah. everything's you know into the cloud if your connection goes you're a bit screwed um, if you can't jump on the zoom call like we are now mm-hmm. suddenly you are you are kind of hamstrung in terms of what you can achieve and how you can communicate and and what you can get done so digital connectivity itself has become paramount whether you're at home or in the office um, which I think was true anyway but that trend has been massively accelerated and appreciated more widely and more deeply than it was 15-20 months ago as well. Yeah definitely I think as you said we were kind of seeing a trend towards um, hybrid work and it was a certain extent before the pandemic but I think a lot of businesses were skeptical of it and there was kind of this assumption that if you were working from home you were having an easy day you weren't really working you weren't as productive whereas obviously we've kind of seen that flip on its head and we know now that that's not the case. Um, but like you said, you need that um, connectivity and digital infrastructure in place, otherwise that's not possible. Um, but on the health and wellbeing, do you think that that was kind of a, a bit of a phase during COVID, during the pandemic, or do you see that being a, a key driver that will stay um, as we move forward? I, I think it would definitely definitely stay i think the um i think there's there's been a real shift in expectation of what what people would expect to to experience wherever they are and a a much much greater awareness of of what can be achieved now we have i mean if you'd ask if you'd ask me 18 months ago can you imagine a world where we're all congregating in in outdoors with 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 masks on or having to social distance and then be two meters apart I would have laughed at you I couldn't have imagined a world where that would have happened and and here we are um you know even six months off after off, after that we were kind of going through that process and here we are a year after that and I can see that hanging around as a as a cultural and social change for for many months and years to come so no I, I think it is I think we've seen a fundamental shift a fundamental change on the back of the pandemic mm-hmm. and I expect many of the behaviors I think particularly around wellness and health because of how, how relatable those two things are yeah. um to to be maintained into the future yeah definitely and I suppose obviously you look at the benefits of that as well in terms of staff retention and also productivity rates and improved mood so there's obviously a lot of benefits of um, prioritizing occupant and employee health and well-being for the employer as well yeah that's right and, and also I think that that hybrid working world will will have shifted expectations even further you know in when you're at home and you're and you're working at your at your kitchen yeah. and you're feeling light on oxygen you can open the window and get some fresh air in or you can if you're too hot you can put the fan on or you can turn the air conditioning on or um or turn the heating off you have lots of options around how you can make the space that you have work for you mm-hmm. and it's easier because there's only one of you yeah in an office that's much more difficult because you're talking about 40 people within a, a confined space um and this is where smart comes back into play the ability to um individualize the office for the people who are there at that particular point in time mm-hmm. is possible there is functionality available now which delivers that um, whether it's lighting or heating or um you know calling a lift or, or um, booking a meeting room or getting the right uh phone booth to have your one-on-one zoom call all these things 
functionalities are there. And people, because they've been able to experience that level of individuality um, and the bespoke nature of work, because they've been on their own at home for a year yeah. or more, people will want to have that experience brought back into the office. And if it can be delivered, people will expect it to be delivered. And that's where SMART comes back into play. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts on, on those questions. And um, yeah, thanks for sparing the time to speak to us today. It was wonderful. Thanks for having me, Lindsay, again. That was really, really great chat.